This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 271 with Trevor Chapman. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at how to grow your business with contribution-based marketing. My guest in this episode is Trevor Chapman. Trevor is one of the world's leading digital strategists that builds enterprise value online. Trevor has been profiled by CNBC, Entrepreneur, The Huffington Post, Yahoo, Money.com, Inc., Complex Hustle, and many, many more. He has thrown traditional online marketing on its head with the largest disruption since pay-per-click was introduced. Merging door-to-door brick-and-mortar strategy with the internet has brought the results unheard of, including an eight-figure offer from Clark Capital in less than a year of business. He has now sought to consult for brands who see him as one of their top digital strategists in America. He owns over a dozen of his own e-commerce sites. Trevor started the Academy of Arbitrars with over 400 people entering e-commerce in the last six months under his instruction. Many have made over a million in that time. Even more have made hundreds of thousands with zero prior experience building off Trevor's marketing method. The vast majority earn more than the average yearly salary in America and have replaced their jobs. He also founded EcomCon.com, the largest virtual summit in history. EcomCon is a free event for individuals interested in internet marketing. It is the largest event that has ever occurred in the industry. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MCLobsher or by email at info at CashflowNinja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at CashflowNinja.com or texting CashflowNinja to 44222. To ensure you never miss one of our episodes, you can download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access an educational webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Well, Trevor, welcome to the show. Thank you, MC. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely excited. Glad to connect. Um, Can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I grew up on Guam in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. My dad was a scuba diving instructor. You know, I grew up every day after school being on the boat. All that I wanted to do was be a deckhand when I grew up. Um, You know, you you are raised in your parents' household. And so what you, you interpret the world through their lens. And I, I highly valued freedom. I highly valued um, pursuing passion. When I was 12, we moved to Alaska, and he was a whale-watching boat captain there. And so I, I grew up with my parents doing what they loved, but having absolutely zero money. In fact, such little money that uh, my, my least favorite chore 
growing up was not doing the dishes or mowing the lawn. My least favorite chore was sneaking to the beach while it was still dark so that fish and game would not catch me catching my entire family's limit in salmon. That's 36 salmon every day. Take them home, gut them, smoke them, and can them just so we could make it through the winter. So we grew up below the poverty line. Uh, later in the day, I would drive my bike down to the docks where the tourists up in Alaska would line up to get back on the cruise ship. I'd play my saxophone, and all that money was just family money. It went back. And so I learned, you know, really that, and I didn't even learn it. So like hard work was just a given. There was no option. If we didn't catch the fish, we didn't eat in the winter. So it wasn't ever, I didn't battle with the laziness, I think, that potentially people uh, many people battle with, including my own nuclear family right now, my kids, et cetera, because it was just necessary. There was no, there was no other option. What I did battle with, though, was the fact that all of my buddies, while I was catching salmon and playing my dock, playing my saxophone on the docks, were driving around in their trucks and having a blast during the summers, you know, and uh, and realizing that every year my new school clothes were the school clothes that they donated to the thrift store the previous year. And, you know, honestly, MC, for a long time, I think like most human beings, this was a point of embarrassment for me. And uh, I remember being in gym class, figuring out how to run so that the bottom of my soles wouldn't pop up because I didn't want any, anybody to see this other kid's name that was written on the bottom of them and have them recognize that they were his gym shoes from the previous year. Eventually, I realized, like, I, I just came to this conclusion, you know what? Hey, it is what it is. And I'm not the shoes I wear. I'm not the clothing on my back. And I just kind of fully embraced it. And it just became a part of, it just became a part of who I was. Yeah. So I'm wearing my buddy's clothes from last year. What of it? Like it just, nothing, it didn't affect me. And I think that liberation from my peers really helped me in those formative years to then go on and achieve anything, you know, that I've achieved since then. So fast forward for, for your listeners. Uh, graduated from high school, lived in Eastern Europe for five years, came back, fell in love, had to make it rain. And uh, my wife came from a, like a very well-to-do family. And so I had a buddy that said, hey, come out to California, sell some pest control door-to-door, and you'll make enough money to graduate debt-free. And I was like, Let, let's do it. I went out there, and um, it was the real deal. Guys were making a lot of money. But I was the best on the team, uh, results-wise. Not because, I, I mean, I had the least amount of experience. But it's because I just brought that work ethic with me. If they worked five hours, I worked 10. If they worked six hours, I worked 12. It was uh, just, I, I, you know, my philosophy kind of is, a, is this. If I am going to spend time doing something, why would I not give it everything I have? Like, like the time can't be spent doing anything else. You know, so for like, for like my son, if you're going to mow the lawn, Mow the lawn to your fullest capacity right now. You can't play video games. You can't read a book. You can't watch TV. So just get the job done as the best you can. That binary thinking excels achievement. Like it helps you do more. One thing led to another. I went from sales rep to recruiting a team to 2008, having a company with three offices, California, Florida, and Arizona, just killing it. I was expecting to have the best summer of my life. In fact, MC, it's, it's kind of funny. Richard Branson was like a huge motivation for me during those years. And I went to Florida only so I could buy a sailboat and sail down to Necker Island and just hang out on the beach waiting for him to arrive. <laughs> and uh, it, it didn't happen that year. Obviously, it was 2008. Everything fell apart. I lost tens of thousands of customers, all of my employees. It was a, it was a, a hard time. 
I was so young that I didn't realize I was, you know, 23, 24, something like that. And I didn't realize that the economy was bad. When you're youthful and you've come off of a string of successes, you don't really consider that there's things outside of your control. At least in my mind, it was all in my control. And uh, it affected my, my very psyche. Like I, I thought that it was something that was wrong with me. Everything had worked and now something didn't work. Was the universe punishing me for something? Like what, what was going on? Uh, and it kind of came to a head on my wife's birthday when, uh, you know, we'd been married for like three years. And, you know, I was planning this year on surprising her with a sailboat and all this stuff. And I, got, I get home that day and I had enough money to buy a guinea pig, a little pet guinea pig for like 10 bucks. And the guy uh, in the pet store said, hey, do you want a cage? I said, no, man, just a cardboard box because I couldn't pay for a cage. Came home, couldn't find her, could hear her, you know, making some noise. Turns out she was crying in the closet, talking on the phone with the credit card companies, trying to get them to delay our payment. And that's kind of when it just, I realized in that moment, something has to change. You know, up until now, I've been saying, you know, something's wrong with me. I'm cursed. What's going on? And I said, look. This is kind of, I just got back from speaking at an event in Florida and it, I kind of monitor the social channels after I speak to see what resonated the most with everybody. And what everybody keeps going back to is this phrase that I said to them that I learned during those years in Florida. And it is this, anytime that you want to make lasting change in your life, you start off by asking yourself the question, what will I no longer tolerate? We like to get complex. We like to walk away from simplicity. If I want to do something new, that means I add 100 items to the to-do list I already am not accomplishing. And so we, we add in layers of complexity and eventually we'll look at our lives and we're like, dude, I can't get anything done. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm, I've got my hand in so many fires. And so for me, I took the opposite approach and it worked. I said, what will I no longer tolerate? And my to-do list was a not to-do list, things I refuse to tolerate. And while it was very detailed, the gist of it was I was not going to tolerate the circumstance that I was in any longer. I won't go into details for the sake of time, uh, but things turned around. You know, a week later, I pre-sold this concept, this idea of this business I was starting. And it was just a concept, but, you know, I was so emphatic about it that I had a buddy, he put 10 grand in to buy into it. Things were, went up from there. Uh, another lesson I learned that year that I think is very important to, to anybody listening to your podcast right now, MC, is this. I found out that I was in the accessory business. Pest control was an accessory. It's the first thing people cancel when money gets tight. And so along that list of things I won't tolerate is I won't tolerate being in a uh, business that can so easily be canceled based on the emotions of whether or not there's money. So I transferred from the accessory business to the necessity business, things that people will not cancel if money gets tight. One thing led to another. I went from pest control to security to fire monitoring to uh, bringing the Iron Dome uh, from Israel over to America, uh, the only American to partner with them to do that. And uh, eventually, I find myself uh, 2016, and I've got a solar company. Um, I've had a couple exits uh, you know, at this point, and uh, we're in six states, Utah being one of them, the largest independent solar installer in the state. Um, yeah, I saw it as a gold rush. You know, there's government subsidies, things are jamming, we're doing well, but we're still, you know, a small business. We're not Elon Musk size yet. And I walk in through marketing and they say to me, hey man, we need more money. And, and this is my philosophy in, in uh, running my companies internally. 
there's two ways to advance. Either be a high producer, a high achiever, or support, or support at the highest levels, the high achievers. So that means, yeah, you can, you can advance as an accountant. Are you supporting the high achievers at the highest levels? I mean, those are the two things that matter the most. There's a lot of intangibles that people like to add, but if those intangibles don't turn into tangibles, then, they, then there's no, they, they don't affect your company significantly enough. So I narrow it down to those two, that, that business concept. It helps keep things simple. And it helps me to not get mixed up. And man, I like this guy. He's got great ideas. One day, one of the ideas will stick. That stuff doesn't happen. And I said to them, dude, you guys spend money. You don't make money. Let's talk about this. What do you need more money for? And they said, SEO, SEM, PPC. And it dawned on me, they're engaging in query-based marketing and search-based marketing. They're waiting for our customers to already want what we have. See, it takes a unique person like to knock on your door. I'm seeing So I don't know whether or not you have solar, but you know, if I knocked on your door, and I haven't knocked for years, but for the sake of example, it's unique for me to knock on your door, stop you from slamming it in my face, get you to invite me in to your house, and then walk out two hours later with a solar contract that lasts 20 years for $100,000, dude. I mean, I'm talking about we're not selling knives door to door, right? And, um, and so it, it, it's, a, it's a very unique skill set. And our competition, of course, was like Elon Musk with uh, Solar City. This is what he did. He spent $3 billion and he made back $1.5 billion. Every dollar he spent, he earned back 50 cents. Now, you know, as a business owner, it's, that's not hard to do that. I mean, I know that we accolade him, and honestly, he's my hero, 100%. But in terms of just small business principles, if a small business does that, they go out of business. It, that's impractical. We, we can't do that. So every dollar I spend has to turn into two or 10 or 100. And so when I realized that they were waiting for someone to already want what we had, meaning engaging in query-based marketing, that's like you and I going to uh, Amazon, looking up toothbrush. We both buy the highest quality toothbrush at the lowest price. That's just what we do as consumers who know what they want. Right. And I can't beat Elon Musk if we're doing that. And so my, I kind of formed this thesis online, and it was this. Can we go door-to-door or screen to screen online, how we go door to door in the real world, engaging in disruptive based marketing. See, when you engage in disruption, you're able to sell at any perceived value that you can effectively illustrate. I don't have a single product in my physical product companies online that are the same price or cheaper remotely on Amazon. If what I sell is also on Amazon, I'm 10, sometimes 20 or 30 times more expensive because the narrative that I craft, the message that I give, by the time they click over to my site, they've engaged with me through ads on multiple networks, through emails. By the time they click over, in their mind, they have a concept of what this thing is worth. And if I sell it for less than that, their thought is, what's the catch? Prime example, first product I threw up was a uh, solar-powered battery. By the way, this product made me a million bucks in 90 days. I had zero prior experience, read everything I could on e-commerce and threw a Shopify site up and said, I'm going to test my thesis of going screen to screen online, broke a million bucks in 90 days, 2 million 90 days later, uh, eight off or eight figures from Clark Capital 12 months later. doesn't happen very often, but it's because of this unique thing. And so with this product, I started selling it at $35 and I noticed people weren't buying. Most people would say, lower the price. 
But because of my door-to-door experience, I knew what the problem was. It wasn't that the price was too high. It's that the price was too low. By the time they clicked on this, they were expecting an incredibly high-quality solar battery. And so when they saw it at 35 bucks, they thought, what's the catch? Like, this is a scam. There's no way that this thing can be selling for 35 bucks. And when I raised it to 65, I sold out. Raising it by $30 more was significant enough for me to sell out. And so wow. the con- that's, the, that's the concept I think that we so often overlook is we don't get deep into the buyer psychology and we make this mistake. You know, before this call, you talked about Academy of Arbitrage. Um, one of my biggest complaints is that it's so expensive, but it's so expensive because it works. And if I lower the price, it devalues it. I think we really need to, we need to raise the game. We sell things for, I mean, a Red Bull for crying out loud is six bucks. I buy them all the time. I, I mean, I would love if it was 99 cents, but if it was 99 cents, it would drop in perceived value. It would be just like the 99 cent dollar store energy drinks, which are no good. Right. So we, we need to keep that value up. Anyway, sorry for the long ramble. Does that kind of give a decent background for, for these purposes? No, absolutely. And I love what you just mentioned too, because it's all psychology, right? Cost, price, and value. And I don't think a lot of folks quite understand how that ties in. And that's when, as you mentioned, the first reaction will be, oh, I got to lower my cost. I got to drop my cost even more. But you're missing the whole thing of the, of the value mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Into, into it. Now, what were some of the principles uh, that you've implemented um, in uh, this absolutely uh, digital ninja business that you've built? Uh, what were some of the principles that you've taken uh, from door to door to screen to screen and some of the things that you've incorporated very successfully that way? Yeah, so I'll, I'll share something with you that I shared with Russell Brunson and he... Uh, had me stay up at ClickFunnels for a couple days to go deep in depth with his team on this. So, you know, I'm an internet newbie. I've only been online for a year and a half. Um, luckily, you know, I took that same work ethic and my drive and my belief that, dude, here's my belief. I believe that you do not have to spend 10 years beating your head against a brick wall to earn the right to be at the top. If you will intelligently examine that wall and apply correct principles, you can achieve in three months or a year or two years what it takes most people 10 years to achieve. It just See, we are self-aware of the fact that we're self-aware. There's no other species like this. This allows us to go forward, and we hear this all the time, but we, we truly can, in our minds, project ourselves in a situation that we are not actually in, and we can learn a lesson from that situation. This is why I've never been hit by a car. And I know not to walk in front of a car because I was told that if I walk in front of it, I'll get hit. It's happened to other people. Painful. You might die. And so if we'll apply that same line of thinking to any business endeavor, we'll be light years ahead. Here's an example. Russell said to me, ugly pages convert better. And I just, it did not stick well with me. I'm like, okay, the result, what is being observed is it's an ugly page. The result is that it converts better than a page that looks good, but it can't be because it's an ugly page. Humans were attracted to beauty. I mean, beauty is, uh, it's species agnostic. I mean, we love beautiful things and we have different tastes, but there's a general idea of what is beautiful. There's very few humans that say a sunset is ugly. Very few would say that. Very few would say that, you know, a breaching whale is ugly. 
there's things that we say, wow, that's magnificent. And so I said, there's a reason that perceived ugly pages convert better. So I started to do research and do my own testing. I found that in 2017, 68% of the internet bounced before a page would load. That means that three quarters almost of everyone visiting my website is not waiting for it to load. Now, let me apply this to door to door. That's similar to when you're knocking doors. If I knock on someone's door, most people don't open. Would it be wise for me to go back to that door another day and say, hey man, 10% off. He's gonna say 10% off what? I have no clue what your first offer is. Right. Yet we do that online all the time. We say, okay, well they bounce. Let's segment the audience. They didn't buy. Take out the people that bought and now say, hey, come back, 10% off, 20% off. And they're like, 10% off what? I have no clue what you're selling. <laughs> and so if we would just apply real world principles to the internet, we would see vast increases in our ability to convert. So to take this to a tactical level, this is what I do. When I am tracking my traffic with a pixel or anything otherwise, I will only offer a discount to the people that spent the 75% or the 20, let's see, the 25% that spent the most time on my site. Facebook now offers this because that 25% of people that spent the most time on my site are likely to have seen my offer. The 75% that spent the least amount of time on my site fall into the 68% that didn't even wait for the page to load. And so I will hit them, I will retarget them with a, not the same offer, but an offer that shows what it is and attempt to have them remember that, oh, hey, yeah, I did. I clicked on that site. I didn't wait for it to load for whatever reason, et cetera. So the point is, it's not the ugly pages convert better. It's that beautiful pages take too long to load. So I started running all kinds of internal diagnostics. I'll give you an example. I, I ran these on clickfunnels.com. Dude, it takes 38 seconds for that page to load on mobile. 38 seconds. If you're not sold the first time you read that, you saw that weird picture and you're like, oh, I'm going to click on it. This picture is interesting. There's not enough interest to stick around for 40 seconds, 38 seconds, and wait for it to load. There's just not. So what we need to do is we need to look at this practically, another practical step. You know, if someone doesn't buy, if I'm talking to them about, if I'm talking to you about solar, and we get to the point where we talk about price, and uh, you're cool with it. And you're like, okay, cool. And then we talk about maybe delivery, how long it's going to take for the solar panels to show up. And you're like, I don't want to do it. Well, face to face, I would naturally, the next time I see you, if we have another appointment, I would, you're cool with the price. So I'm not even going to offer a discount or anything. I'm going to talk to you about expedited shipping. I'm going to talk to you about putting shipping on me, etc. But see, that's not what we do online. What we do online is this. We say, hey, buy this widget. It's only 15 bucks or 150 bucks, whatever the case is. It's not bought. So then we follow them onto another website. Buy this widget. It's only 150 bucks. They don't buy. We follow them up with an email. Buy this widget. It's only 150 bucks. And we never resolve their concern. We just hit them with the same offer over and over and over. But human nature is such that if we don't resolve the concern, it's unlikely that they will buy. So what we need to do is segment them based on behavior, analyze it. Did they visit this page? Did they visit that page? How long were they on? Did they watch this video? How much of the video did they watch? We, we, the internet is mature. You don't have to write that code. That code's written. All you have to do is put in a little bit of time to segment that audience 
and then say, okay, this person is probably concerned about the price of the product, or they're concerned about the shipping of the product, or they went back to the refund page five times. They're concerned that I'm not going to refund them if they don't like it, if it doesn't fit well or whatever. And based off that, we can follow up with a statement that will resolve the concern. Hey, one of the things our customers love best is our guaranteed refund policy, no matter what, for 60 days. Now, that may not be what's written right there. You know, now, while we don't publish that on our site, we do offer this. Here's a certificate, blah, 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 whatever. Throw in an image. You can refund this whenever you want. Just redeem this certificate. Now, you've just sold all of those people who are worried about buying something that might not fit. I see, it's really elemental, but it's been so easy up until now. All the fruit has been so low that people have just been gathering the low fruit. Right. And I like how you address the objections up front as well. And you've spoken about around about approximately in one of your businesses, you knew that there was 13 objections that every single buyer yes. of that product will ha yes. have. And I mean, that ties into market research, knowing your buyers and knowing the concerns and hitting that all up front. A hundred percent. That, so you, you mentioned that and that was, you know, that actual concept of what we did was what took me out of 2008. We identified, we did a mind map, and in selling the pest control product, there are only 13 objections. So if you understand them up front, again, you segment your audience and you reply accordingly, you're far more likely to actually convert. And so it's about, it's just putting that little extra effort in that others aren't willing to do that will push you so much further ahead of the pack. What are some of the traffic strategies that you can share that you've utilized to, to draw buyers into uh, these funnels and the sequence of pages on the internet? Yeah, so here, so I'll, I'll share it with you. It depends really on if you're selling physical products or info products because I have sold both. I'll give you my info product strategy. And I only bring up Russell because he was like the first internet marketer that I became friends with. And so I have experience. That's the only, I'm not like, doing a plug for him or anything like that. But I was talking with him and I'm like, hey, I'm going to get ready to launch this info product. You know, I've never launched one before. Give me some ideas. Uh, you know, give me some things to watch out for. And he's like, a couple things he told me. He said, you can't sell it for more than $2,000 without a sales rep. You have to spend half of your money in ad spend. Um, it's going to take you so long to break a million dollars. All this stuff. He was telling me all these things. Well, I don't know. MC, just hearing you, I think that we're pretty similar. And when people tell me that I can't do something or that it's never been done, I really want to do it. Absolutely. And so, yeah. So I just arbitrarily priced my product at twenty four ninety seven because he said you can't. I guess I asked him. He's like, you won't sell any. You'll maybe sell one. So I was like, all right. Well, let's put this to the test. So I, I put it at twenty five hundred bucks, and then he said half of it I'm going to spend in ads. So I said, how can I not spend any in ads? This is what I did. I reached out to every reporter that wrote about entrepreneurship that I could find online. Spent probably three days doing this. I found one that I really liked how he wrote. And I'm, he had been writing about e-commerce. And so I said, okay, this is my guy. And I relentlessly contacted this dude over and over and over until finally he was just like, okay, I'll fill the call with this guy just to get him off my back. And then I pitched him my story and he loved it. And uh, interviewed me multiple times. Uh, both by video and by audio, and then uh, wrote the article. And I kind of asked him roughly when to write it because I wanted to use that article as a springboard to sell because my whole goal was not to spend any money in ads. 
And I knew when Russell was launching his course, and I wanted to be able to compare side to side. So I told him when to launch it. His editor approved. They launched that article. And uh, dude, that weekend in 48 hours, we made $800,000 selling that product for more than Russell said we could ever sell it for without spending any money in advertising costs, driving the traffic from people who don't know about e-commerce. And I, I knew that if my target audience was not people who have been in five or six courses, it was not that. It was people who were reading an article on, uh, it was the CNBC article, it's people who were reading that article and said, whoa, this dude did that, I can do it too. And so there are people who hate their job. There are people who are entrepreneurs, but they just haven't found the freedom yet. And so I crafted my message to them. When I did, you know, when I eventually uh, ran traffic to people who were, were in e-commerce, I completely changed my pitch. The end result is the same, but I changed my pitch uh, just like, you know, if, if, you're, if you're trying to get people to go to South Africa... If you're talking to people who live on the coast, you'll be like, hey, man, we've got incredible sharks. The beaches are incredible. You're going to love it. If you're talking to people that are, you know, big game hunters. They'll talk about just a little bit further north. There's big game. There's safaris. Like you, you change your, mes your message. I bring this up only because so often people are like, that's dishonest, blah, blah, blah. But it's not. You communicate with your customers in their language. That's how you do it. And so when I was talking to people not familiar with e-commerce, I crafted my message a certain way. When I talked to people who had already been in multiple courses, I crafted that message differently as well. And I, uh, I still didn't have a course yet. I was pre-selling them. I wanted to know. I was uncertain, honestly, MC, whether or not it was going to sell. But I, you know, in the back of my head. So instead of building the course first, I built the marketing first. And I told them what I would deliver. I'd also justified a price reduction. I told them, look, this is eventually going to be five grand. I'll sell it to you right now for 2500 since I'm still building it, blah, blah, blah. Pre-sold it. And that weekend, I beat Russell. That was his best webinar up to that point. He did like a million dollars. I did 800 but he spent a lot in you know, advertising costs. And he's been doing this for a, over a decade. So for me, that was a good pat on the back. It was a fun you know, little competition between, between two dudes. Um, I bring this up only to say, the best way to get traffic is to not do what everyone else is doing. Because if you do what everyone else is doing, you have to follow the rules. Russell was telling me the rules. And so if I followed those rules, I would have to do what everyone else said, get an email list, send it out to them, get some Facebook traffic, do that, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I don't really want to be in the midst of the pack. There's not a lot of meat left over when you're in the wolf pack. You know, the alpha <laughs> right. gets it all. Right. And so that's, uh, does that answer your question for you? Absolutely. I, I love it too. We're showing up where no one else is showing up too, right? To get in Absolutely. there uh, and online and uh, in, in, in real life. You're listening to Trevor Chapman on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Alhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, 
small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. You're listening to Trevor Chapman on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and now back to our interview. Uh, now, can you share a little bit more information about the Academy of Arbitrage and uh, how you're helping a lot of people out there doing the same thing uh, online that uh, what you've done successfully? Yeah. So, you know, when I saw that I was having success and I saw really how simple it was, it just took, it takes endurance like any business. If the principles are sound, then if you do it long enough, it will, it, business is an equation. We're taught growing up that business is a crapshoot, that, you know, nine out of 10 fail, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and that's true if you approach business how you would approach like a rocket ship. You don't know anything about it. You're just like, uh, okay, throw some gas in here, light this thing, blows up. I mean, that's, you know, if you approach business that way, that's how I would approach uh, a rocket ship, then I too will, will die. But I've been doing it long enough where I recognize there are principles, they're universal. The medium changes. So this is online instead of in the real world, but these are, this is a, a sound business. And I said, this is something I can teach others. And I was so happy to leave my solar company. I had been doing it for you know, 13 years door to door. And frankly, I was just not passionate about it anymore. I wasn't. I, I was doing it out of obligation because I, I loved the people um, that followed me to it, that were working there. You know, obviously, uh, we had big plans, but I, it just, I had lost that thing that made me excited. It was no longer this cool startup with my college buddies. It was, it was a machine much larger than that. And I know myself. I'm a quick start on every personality test. I can go from zero to speed quickly. But then after that, just the maintenance of that speed gets really boring for me. And when life is boring, you lose passion. And life is about joy and tranquility and, and achievement. And I, I had just lost that. And so I said, you know what, for people that are like me, this will be a good solution. And so, you know, I created the Academy of Arbitrage because what you're engaging in is arbitrage, selling low, buying high. And you're doing it on the internet, pulling attention from this to that. It's arbitrage the same way that we were doing it door to door, you know, door to door arbitrage, exactly the same thing. Um, I open it up once a quarter or once every two quarters, uh, only let 200 people in. It sells out every single time. And, uh, you know, I don't think that there's anything out there that's like it or has had the results that we've had. I've got school teachers that are, you know, literally selling $60,000 every single day worth of product. I've got guys that work in airports who, you know, in, uh, by day 50, they were doing like a hundred, they had done a hundred grand, uh, gross volume profit margins hover pre-tax around 45%. Uh, you know, a big one for me was my own parents. We grew up super poor and, uh, I said, mom, dad, you guys need to do this. But I don't want to be, I do not want to be um, ever in the crosshairs of nepotism. I don't want anyone to say that you succeeded because of me. So um, here's the course, but I'm not going to answer any of your questions. If you want the questions answered, go into the group and engage with the people. Don't even say you're my parents. Um, you know, for them, it was tough. My mom asked for a loan and I said, mom, if I give you a loan, you won't appreciate it. 
So use whatever money you have. They had like 45 bucks. And uh, so she was very, very, you know, they watched with utmost care what they were doing with their ads. And they would, they would listen to what I said in the course videos with absolute detail. And, uh, you know, it took 28, 30 products to find one that hit. But, um, you know, they profit about 1500 bucks a day now. Profit after all costs. That's life-changing in less than a year. You know, these are people who are almost in their 60s. They're not supposed to be internet entrepreneurs. And so the Academy of Arbitrage is just basically me saying, hey, for anyone out there that is looking, I believe that the internet, well, this is a fact. Can I go on a tangent, MC? Is that cool for a sec? Absolutely. Okay, so, you know, I, I love history. I love archaeology. I'm, I'm walking around in my home office right now, and I've got uh, this indentured servant contract from 1769. It's the original one. It's got wax um, stamps on it. It's incredible. I come over here. I have a, uh, a mammoth tooth that's 170,000 years old. I've got a piece of the Acropolis right here. I've got um, you know, the first, I've got Ernest Hemingway's brick from his house. I mean, I, dude, I, I collect, I've got all kinds of things and I don't know why, but there's something about it that I love. I will often consider the fact that a million years ago, there was an early human that was walking around and I'm directly related to that dude. As are, as are you, as are, you know, yours might be a different guy, but whatever. There, there's someone in your family that's responsible for you a million years ago, walking around through the forest. And he was lucky enough to not die when the saber-toothed tiger attacked him. He lived long enough to have a child. And that child did not die of fever when it should have. That child lived long enough to have a child. And this process continued. And we went through very narrow moments. Your ancestors made it through the Black Plague. While everyone else was dying, there was something about them. They were, in, they were in a spot geographically that allowed them to, or they had antibodies that others didn't. They did not die of the Black Plague. They weren't killed while these empires were being constructed. You and I are nothing more than a culmination of the most miraculous pattern that has ever existed. We should not exist, yet... Not only do we exist, we're talking to each other real time. And so humanity as a species, we're the culmination of miracles. That's what we are. And of everything that we as a species could have created, and there's a lot for us. I mean, that sunset I was talking about earlier, that sunset doesn't really exist. It's a bunch of protons and photons that are flying around. And if you looked at it from an unbiased third eye, not a human eye, but just some thing that observes. There's no colors. Uh, there aren't any. What happens is all of that information, actual particles, fly into your retina and your optic nerve gathers the entirety of the universe that you can see, all of infinity, and it sends it through biological matter into the back of your brain. And your brain then takes all of the proton and photons that are bouncing into your eyeball, into your retina, and it turns it into the sunset that is beautiful to you. It turns it into a masterpiece. That masterpiece exists only because you are looking at it. Yes, there's matter bouncing around, but the beauty is made by you and it's interpreted by you. Same with orchestras and symphonies. It's vibrations, but our ears vibrate with these small micro vibrations 
And instead of just a vibrating moment of matter in the air, it's a symphonic moment of awe and rhapsody. You and I make that. That doesn't exist outside of us. We make that in virtue of even existing. That's why it's there. And so knowing how grand we are, knowing the, the rhapsody that we can create just from living in this moment, you have to consider that of everything that we could have created, we could have colonized Mars, we could have cured cancer, of everything, what we have created is the thing that we care about most because what we focus on grows. We deserve everything that we have. And what we deserve is what we want most. If you want to be a Game of Thrones trivia champion most, you'll watch Game of Thrones while someone else who you know, wants to build a business is working or someone else that wants to write music is practicing. See, we, all, we have what we deserve because we focus on it. And what we as a species have focused on is the ability to connect in real time regardless of anywhere that we are in the world and beyond the world, the internet. The internet has connected us like nothing has ever connected us. We have a base primordial need to be able to share ideas, thoughts, images, music creation. We want to share the creation of one of us with the others. And so the culmination of our species is the internet. And so if you will look at that as the greatest thing that we've ever created, and you look at how early it is, it then makes sense that now is the time. Now is the land grab. Here's the beauty, beautiful thing about the internet. You know, the last land grab that existed was the land grab out west when people were, you know, running across the plains to claim Malibu beachfront property. But the problem is it took six or seven generations for that beachfront property to appreciate. Right now online, there's a land grab and it, you can realize the appreciation immediately. Unlike any other time in history. You can go from serf to king, from servant or peasant to emperor, almost overnight with nothing more than your phone. It's mature enough where you don't have to write the code. The code's been written. But it's early enough where you can create that kingdom and too many people are ignoring it. It's not, we haven't even reached the gold rush yet. We're still so early that this can be built. If your dad was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. If your father was a farmer, you were a farmer. That's just how it's always been. If you didn't have blue blood, well then God willed you to be a peasant. That was the belief. We operated under that. For, for millennia, that's how we operated. But in this moment in time, we're not constrained by that. And for many people, they're taking that newfound freedom and they're wasting it watching others create. Whether that's watching Casey Neistat on YouTube, which I love, dude, I watch him, but whether, whether it's watching him change the way we film and we produce, or whether it's watching an influencer online travel around, get free travel and say, hey, look how awesome my life is. I'm able to travel around and I'm only able to do it because you guys love to watch me, or it's people building e-commerce businesses or info product businesses or tech companies or software. There are people out there that are taking advantage of this one moment, who knows how long it lasts. But right now, the planets are literally aligned. If you have a cell phone, you can do anything you want online. So stop observing and start creating. Absolutely. And you know what? I've always spoken about uh, one of the things that was amazing and through my travels, uh, ending up in the United States, what upward mobility there was in the United States. But as you mentioned, because of the online 
this new economy that I talk about, the information age, the upward mobility, you don't need to be in the United States. You can be anywhere. If Correct. you have access to the internet, there's, there's upward mobility. Uh, now, Trevor, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So I love how you touched on just uh, uh, talking about generations and looking into the future uh, and not just in the now. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? I love that because uh, adulthood took me kind of like a two by four to my forehead. And I wondered, I was like, why did my great grandfathers not write a book about life and pass it down to me so I would be prepared? It just kind of took me by surprise. And so I've thought about this often. I am going to pass down information to my kids. I'm probably not going to give them any money because I think that ruins people. You need to earn that. So here, here's what my three uh, principles would be. And this is in no particular order. So I'm not giving them to you in order of importance, but just in the order that they're coming into my head. The first one is this. Everybody already knows that you have to do the work. They already know that you have to hustle. They already know that you have to grind. But what we don't talk about often is that hustle, grind, and hard work without winning is just effort expended. You know, the athletes that get drafted are not the hardest workers. They're the guys that win. Now, often, the guys that win are the hardest workers because we get what we deserve. But I think we don't place enough emphasis on winning. If you want more, win more. Now, working hard is like just showing up for practice. You have to work hard. You have to hustle. You have to be in beast mode. But if you think that, that you have earned a result simply because you've worked hard, then the universe is going to kind of smack you across the head because the wins go to the winners. So number one, you have to win. You have to win. Want more, win more. That's number one. Number two is that there is nothing more valuable than tranquility and peace of mind. There's nothing that's more valuable than that. There is no amount of money that will ever take place of tranquility and peace of mind. The best way to explain you know, tranquility and peace of mind is to explain what it is not. I remember going home from school, realizing that the principal was going to call my parents and I was busted. That is not peace of mind. The exact opposite feeling is peace of mind. So if you do anything that is going to contradict your ability to have peace of mind or tranquility, it's not worth it because nothing is more valuable than that. That's number two. And number three is that if you want to win big, you must include others. As the tide rises, all the ships rise together. And that ship, we're far more together than we are apart. In order to be together, you have to treat people with genuine concern. You can't just treat them that way. You truly have to feel for them. I really have been screwed over many times by people that I've done business with. And at one point in time, I said, you know what? I'm going to, uh, I don't victimize myself. I shouldn't have done it, right? So I'm not saying, oh, poor me, woe is me. I'm not saying that because I learned lessons. But I realized that I could go one of two ways. I could become hard and not trust people. Or I could say, you know what? That was a bad egg, but most eggs are not bad. And I truly believe that. Uh, and, you know, we treat the world kind of how we are. And I just kind of have this weird innate trust. I share everything. There's very little, almost nothing that I just hold back. I think if we all did that, we would be happier. 
we would achieve more at night before my kids go to bed. We have like this series of stuff that, you know, kind of like a family motto. And the last line is this love all serve all create no sorrow. And that's how we live. Those are my three things. Fantastic. Now, Trevor, how can my listeners learn more about you, uh, all of the projects that you're involved with, and stay informed of all of, of the new ones that, that you create, because you keep creating and producing, and where can they follow you uh, online? Yeah, so um, if you want to hear my voice, then I have a podcast as well. It's called The Trevor Chapman Show. You can uh, just jump on iTunes, look up you know, Trevor Chapman Show, and it's there. Uh, you can find me on most social media channels. Um, just look at Trevor Chapman. My first, the first initial of my name is J. So J Trevor Chapman, just the letter J. That's usually where, where you'll find me. And uh, I love to engage with people. I love to contribute. Contribution-based marketing is the thing. Um, there, there's no better way to engage with people than contribute to their success. And eventually the law of love, reciprocity comes around and they contribute to you. So anyway, I can contribute to everybody. I'd love to. MC, you're amazing, man. This has been incredible. Thank you so much for the opportunity, brother. Hey, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey and all of your knowledge and sharing that with my listeners. And I've had a blast connecting with you and it's so much fun having you on. Thank you, man. Let's, let's connect again shortly. Absolutely. Thank you for joining my guest, Trevor Chapman, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life. So if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gosh Good newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at Cashflow cashflowninja.com or text cashflowninja to 44222. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access an educational webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.